and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. This is the podcast where every week we dump all the internet's wrestling content into the randomizer. We fire it up. It chooses a show at random. And it has chosen a show. Uh, it, it's the first time we're, we're visiting uh, an indie promotion uh, that's... It's kind of a an event, kind of a TV show. I don't know. This seems like it could have gone to the Patreon. Yeah, it's definitely not a TV show. Uh, it's it's an event. This may actually have been in an iPay-per-view. Pay-per-view. Yeah. yeah, they referenced that on commentary throughout the show that a lot of the Evolve events at this time were iPay-per-views. Now, the other thing this has uh, going for it is that this may be chronologically the latest show, the newest show that we have reviewed here for the podcast. Uh, it is as we record this in late 2021, 10 years old, 2011 is when this show occurred. Uh, and it is definitely uh, the most pure indie type of show that we've talked about here on any season uh, of this podcast or on the bonus content feed. And yeah, it's uh, it's evolve of all things. It's, I will get into it. And I'm sure you've got a little bit on the history of evolve. I only went to one evolve show live, uh, which uh, I think the Where thing was that's, that? uh, it was in summit, Illinois. <laughs> and I think the okay. most noteworthy thing from that show that sticks in my mind is having a conversation in the bathroom with Zack Sabre jr. Oh, okay. Nice. This was not, As, this wasn't the uh, faces of fear bathroom conversation. No, <laughs> no. As one does. And none of these are like seeking out things. They just, <laughs> they just, conversations happen naturally as they do in the men's bathroom at sporting or sporting adjacent events. Uh, I believe there was also a Keith Lee Donovan Dijak match. That was the opener that everyone loved. And I hated um, that it, 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 Zach Sabre Jr. Wrestled somebody that I remember being very disappointed that that's who he was wrestling on the show. I don't recall who it was offhand. Uh, but yeah, that was my only live Evolve experience. And that was quite a few years, at least several years after this show. Uh, but yeah, Evolve basically uh, Gabe Sapolsky's replacement ROH after he lost the ROH booking gig. That's right. Uh, Evolve was an independent promotion founded by former Ring of Honor booker Gabe Sapolsky in 2010. They had a working relationship with the their sister promotion, which was Dragon Gate USA. And in November of 2011, Dragon Gate USA and Evolve basically merged. In 2015, Evolve formed a working relationship with WWE, like an unofficial developmental territory. Yeah, that was going to be my question here, actually. Uh, because my memories of this time period were foggy, but I, I I did not think all the way back in 2011 that they had a relationship with WWE. But when I skipped ahead, no, 2015 is when yeah, their, their relationship started. Well, the thing that surprised me though is when I looked at what was on Evolve Nine, as I sometimes like to do, uh, look at the shows immediately before or after the ones that we actually, uh, you know, the randomizer chose for us to watch and see if maybe we missed out and there was something. Uh, you know, that we would have liked more <laughs> if the randomizer had just been uh, calibrated a little bit differently. Fit Finley wrestled Sammy Callahan on Evolve 9. Yeah, see, they were definitely heavily scouting Evolve at this point. And uh, yeah, the uh, in, in 2016, Evolve 
held the qualifying matches for the WWE's Cruiserweight Classic Tournament. Ah, that's right. In 2019, Evolve held its 10th anniversary show, celebrating the 10th anniversary of the founding of Dragon Gate USA, and that event was streamed on the WWE Network, the first independent event to air on the WWE Network. And wasn't that one of, if not the last Evolve shows? Yeah, in with the pandemic, uh, having all of the shows, the live shows canceled, uh, it was uh, financially tough times for Evolve. In July 2020, WWE purchased the company, so they own the name and the tape library. The promotion had been hanging on by a thread ever since the Flow Sports deal fell apart in 2016. They were basically kept alive by their relationship with WWE. Flow Flow Sports, by the way, I had a subscription to Flow Slam. (laughs) I did, and I saw this this Evolve show that we're talking about here from 2011 is the first style battle tournament. Uh, They did non-Evolve branded, just style battle tournaments on Flow Slam, and I actually watched several of those live. Uh, Flow Slam, if you weren't familiar with it, it really... It was basically a failed version of what IWTV would end up being and probably was already at that time. But it attempted to do what IWTV uh, has done much more successfully in modern times, which is basically broadcast a bunch of different indie shows live and then streaming on demand. Uh, They had a whole platform. I believe amateur wrestling was on there. They had all different college sports on the Flow Sports platform. Flow Slam was the wrestling part of that. This show is Evolve number 8, May 20th, 2011. If you're on the current Peacock offering of the streaming service, it would be Season 2, Episode 8. That's definitely (laughs) when I think of Evolve. I think of, yes, this has to be not Season 1. Why would this not be Season 1? If it's the 8th Evolve... we do what not is, have what we is, do not what have time. One? We do not have time on this podcast to try to decompose what the organizational structure of the Peacock offering of the would. WWE Network is. We do not have time for that. Maybe it'll be a Patreon feature, but definitely do not have time for it here. I wish the Peacock offering of WWE Network would decompose. <laughs> the the date May twentieth, twenty eleven might also sound familiar to wrestling fans because not only is it the the day of this show, but it's also the day that the Macho Man, Randy Savage, that morning, died at the age of 58 after suffering a heart attack. We will see Randy Savage tributes throughout this show. Yeah, that explains. I I figured there was one moment in particular, one match in particular, where there was a in-ring tribute of sorts, and they referenced Randy Savage, and I figured, well, this has to be uh, you know, pretty soon thereafter. I didn't realize that it was same the same the same day. And like you mentioned, this is the style battle tournament. And <laughs> it is. <laughs> we but... we get a video opening explaining who's in the tournament and what the styles are. But uh, coming into this cold, I didn't know that this was a tournament. <laughs> yeah, it, there's a lot of things here about the style battle. Uh, because outside of, I would say that probably six of the eight men on this show wrestle a very, very similar style. <laughs> and, and you could even make the argument all eight wrestlers 
wrestle a very similar style. And the only difference is that a couple of them are taller. But there's of the eight styles, which are like high flying power. So let's stand. let's go through let's yes. go through the dudes. Uh, yeah, we because we the, see we see a roster. bunch of yeah they, we get the intro we see a bunch of dudes, and they show us Ar Fox and they tell us he's high flying style. That checks out. I, I have no problem with that. Brody Lee, super heavyweight style. Which for the indies he might as well be Big John Stud as far as if we're talking about economies of scale. So that's fine. Tony Nice as standing combat style. I don't get that at all. <laughs> Bobby Fish, Prasu Junior heavyweight style. I, I'll have thoughts on that too. Because <laughs> I'm trying to say one that that's like that's one thing as though like Jushin Liger uh, and the Mishinoku Pro guys all wrestle the same style. We're saying Japanese Junior heavyweight style. Um, I yeah, we'll we'll get there. My favorite. Rich Swan wrestling, Rich Swan style. <laughs> that I actually am fine with because it, it's it, it almost is poking fun at the absurdity of saying all these guys wrestle different styles. John Davis with the power style, which is different from how the super heavyweight would wrestle. Yeah, or the next one that you're probably getting to, which is the Sammy Callahan hard hitting style. Hard hitting style. <laughs> and then the Austin Aries hybrid style which i assume is a hybrid of entertaining and boring which is <laughs> austin aries <laughs> yeah exactly the hybrid was going to be exactly entertaining slash annoying so i can never <laughs> figure out where he falls on that spectrum uh if you listen to our ring of honor final battle 2008 review slash reviews over the course of that double episode uh, you'll hear our thoughts not being thrilled about seeing austin aries on that show and then being like, yeah, he was actually really awesome, even though he wasn't our favorite wrestler. Uh, the, the journey we go on in that match with Seth or uh, with uh, Austin Aries and the future Seth Rollins, Tyler Black. We get some clips of action that actually looks pretty awesome. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm I'm ready for this show. Yeah, by an indie uh, standard opening, this was. I mean, we had an opening. It wasn't just immediately dudes in the ring. That being said, the second this open is over. We have no entrance. It's just dudes in the ring. It's Rich Swan and A.R. Fox and play-by-play announcer Lenny Leonard, which thank God we have Lenny Leonard here because a lot of times on indie shows, uh, the announcing, particularly on the oh, play-by-play side, can that, be brutal. What about that UPW show that we oh, did? In the, that was in the Patreon. We One we, of the first episodes of the Patreon, the Steve Regal, uh, William Regal, whatever you want to call it. Samoa, Samoa Joe, Joe match. Joe. Yeah, in, in the Patreon feed. The, some of the worst, some of the absolute dirt worst commentary you've ever heard. Yes. Uh, and so by by the standards of that, or really by any pro wrestling standard, we're in, we're in good hands here because Lenny Leonard, uh, top tier play-by-play guy of the last couple decades, and he is joined by Rob Naylor. Friend of the show, Rob yes, Naylor. friend of the show and a guy who uh, certainly fits for this uh for this evolve show in terms of being on color commentary. So yeah, that it, it's got that going for it right away. Uh, what it doesn't have going for it is a large venue. This is by far the smallest, most intimate, however you want to couch it venue of any show we've reviewed here on the podcast, including some of the very small TV studios from the territory days. It is small. It's a black brick wall building on all sides. There's no more than one or two rows on each side around the ring. What I will say that I enjoy about this quick 
building fashion corner, something we don't do all that often. I love that we have the flags of all the nations up against the we wall. Do. That is a throwback to the old uh, NWA Studio WTBS show. studios. I uh, very, very happy to see that. Yeah, no, definitely. But uh, like you mentioned, it's a low ceiling. So the guys were always looking up at, uh, <laughs> to make sure that whatever high flying move they were going to do. They had room to clear the ceiling. Always uh, super frustrating when you go to an indie show and you know you're going to see a lot of high-flying, innovative stuff, and then the roof barely clears the uh, the top turnbuckle. I, uh, I recall being at an IWA Mid-South show in Harvey, Illinois, of all places. Oh, gosh. Uh, that had a ceiling like that where several times guys jumped off the top rope and pushed up the ceiling tiles, like knocked the ceiling tiles off. But thankfully, it's not quite that bad here, but still, small building, tiny ring tiny crowd you know in terms of what they could even get in there like i said only a couple rows around uh, and, and we mentioned that this was in so many ways evolve was the spiritual successor of gabe sapolsky's ring of honor i feel like the one thing they definitely imported was terrible audio quality <laughs> the for the the presentation, yes. I thought the, the commentators sounded great. Uh, I mean, when you go back to that final battle show, the last time we heard Lenny yes. Leonard, the the audio production of that Ring of Honor show was not great. Uh, but here, the commentary team sounded fantastic, crystal clear. And, and Yeah, there were times where they sounded very distant, though, too. But just thank God they were there because uh, I needed yes. them to catch me up on every single thing. And Lenny Leonard and, and Rob Naylor did a fantastic job. We Absolutely. always look for that when we parachute in and we don't know what's going on for them to catch us up on what's happening. And uh, particularly for you, job. because as you said, you weren't necessarily quite as familiar with some of these guys as I was, particularly in terms of going to indie shows around this time period. Whereas I was, Maybe not going to quite as many indie shows as I had been a couple years earlier, but I was still fresh off of going to see, you know, IWA Mid-South, you know, once if not a couple times a month in the Chicago area uh, and other shows as well. So I had seen quite a few of these guys in person uh, quite a bit at this point. So we cut right to the ring. No introductions. Uh, well, no, no entrances. We do get introductions once the guys are in the ring for the first round match. High flying style AR Fox versus Rich Swan in our opener. They start out trading roll ups and near falls. We get a spin kick, and AR Fox hits an awesome looking corkscrew vertical suplex. Yeah, we get a, and we also have a, a, an indie standoff very early on. Always. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you're going to, that's basically like the atomic drop uh, 1974 MSG edition here. Uh, in 2011, you're going to get an indie standoff or two on an Evolve show. But yeah, right away we see you know some pretty spectacular stuff from both guys, particularly AR Fox. Uh, they also mentioned something on commentary about how uh, Rich Swan was basically another high flyer, but they had an open spot or somebody dropped out or something. And so he came, he, he basically proposed that he could come in under a different style and that being Rich Swan style. Yeah, he looks thin here. This is a yes. very thin Rich Swan comparison. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, and he was he was a cruiserweight even when he was in WWE, but not the size that we would see him later on. Like you said in WWE, two hundred five live. Here he's uh, relatively early on in his career, and so was Ar Fox. I believe at this point, Ar Fox was like a year into his career. Fox goes for a cutter 
called the Ace Crusher, but uh, Swan blocks it by doing a handstand. Well, the Ace Crusher, it's called that, and Lenny Leonard calls it that because that's, that's the original name of the move. Johnny Ace invented the move, and it was originally called the Ace Crusher. Here, Lenny Leonard earning some street cred at calling it the Ace Crusher. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Fox hits a boot, then does an Ace Crusher off the second rope. Yeah, Sw- basically an os cutter. He's channeling yep. uh, the future of Will Osprey here. Swan's able to take Fox down, hits a standing shooting star press. We get a rolling thunder for another near fall. Yeah, after uh, that, that came right after. It came right before, I should say. Uh, an awesome like step up stop. Ar Fox is in a seated position, and uh, Rich Swan just runs up behind him steps up and stomps him right in the head. And then, as you said, goes into that Rob Van Dam style rolling thunder. And this is where Lenny Leonard says, and I apologize for my uh, uh, not full description of it earlier, that Rich Swan was voted in by the fans when there was an opening. Uh, and that's when they went with the Rich Swan style. Fox hits a step up in Zaguri, then goes to the top and hits a leg drop on Swan, who was hanging off the apron of the, the side of the ring. Yes, this was awesome. Uh, we talked earlier, just mentioned a few minutes ago about how you're going to see a lot of indie standoffs. The other thing that you're going to see here, and this would become a, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe some people like this move. I used to, but it's absolutely just been done to death to the point to where now I, I just groan when I see it. That step up in Zagiri on the apron. Yep. Everybody does that. It's, it's the equivalent of like a shoulder to the stomach in the corner 20 years ago. Everybody has to do this. Fox leaps to the top, hits a senton off the top for a two count. Swan looks like he's going to go for like a package pile driver, but then turns it into a slam. Yeah, it's a package DDT, basically. I was surprised that neither announcer referenced that. It was it was a package pile driver type of deal, but he had him off to the side, and he had him in that front face lock position. It was basically a package DDT. But only two, because that will be, again, if you're someone who is not that familiar with or has not watched a lot of indie wrestling lately, the last decade, uh, whatever you want to say, you are going to see, if you're following along here and watching this show on Peacock or wherever else, you're going to see a lot of moves that you will think should be a finish. Oh, my gosh. And they are, in fact, not only not a finish, but they don't put guys down for very long. I'm not going to complain about it too much. It's the evolution, no pun intended, of pro wrestling. But given how much old school classic wrestling territory wrestling even wrestling in the 90s and early 2000s on a mainstream level that we've been watching it is jarring and you do have to kind of get yourself in the mindset that you are going to be seeing everything in every match and we're going to have a lot of like wrestlemania main event kickouts going on just all the time yes you you have to prepare yourself that you're watching an indie show just like you have to prepare yourself when we have to watch all japan in the 80s for yes. what our finishes are about to be <laughs> yes for count yeah for count outs and disqualifications and no clean finishes or if you're watching wwf 1974 madison square garden you have to prepare you know, prepare yourself for six minute headlocks oh good god uh, so you, have to know what you're getting into no matter what you're watching here it's been one of the things we've we've uh, relearned doing this podcast Rich Swan hit a standing 450. Did I see that right? This was incredible. And yeah, he kind of 
like takes a couple little mini hops out of the corner to prepare himself for this, and then he hits a standing four fifty perfectly, which I don't know I've ever that I've I don't ever think seen I've before. ever yeah I don't think I've ever seen that before. That when was we pretty say incredible. Standing four fifty, we mean his feet start on the mat on the ring canvas. He is not on the top rope. Uh, this is this is wild to see. Uh, but then Fox pretty much straight out of that reverses it into a uh, like reverses the pin into a cradle, but only gets two. Fox back to the tops, but Swan catches him with a kick. Fox pushes Swan away, then hits a sloppy-looking code breaker off the top for the pin. Your winner is AR Fox moving on to the next round. Yeah, he's basically inventing Bushi's finisher here. It's the MX, a, uh, a top rope or a second rope code breaker. Uh, this was not, I wouldn't say this is a great match, but for the relative experience level that both guys have and for the amount of crazy innovative stuff they were trying fun opener yeah it was a fun opener it was it was indie but it was yeah i I think back to the matches that i was seeing it shows that i was going to this was you know on the high end of the type of stuff you'd see uh, particularly as an opener uh, on on indie shows back then Lenny Leonard uh, comes in and interviews all the winners after the match. And... Very UFC-style presentation with Lenny Leonard coming in, basically playing the Joe Rogan role of interviewing the winners and sometimes the losers after the match. I liked it, but none of the guys... we like. I have no notes for any of these no, because these... none of the guys said anything of value after well, the match. Talk about UFC. I mean, these promos, every single one of them were... Basically, like 95% of the guys in the UFC where when Joe Rogan or whoever is in the ring doing an interview with them, they say, who do you want next? You know, trying to draw a little bit of like personality or something out of them. It's always just a, I'll just fight whoever Dana gives me next. That's basically what we got from these promos. It was, I won. I'm not all that excited about it for some reason. And I'm moving on to the next round. And part of it is just some of these guys have not done many promos per, uh, specifically in-ring promos in front of a live crowd right after they wrestled a, a, a you know high-speed match. And so they're a combination of exhausted and terrified, and that usually doesn't lead to great promos. Tony Nese, standing combat style versus power style John Davis. Yeah, Tony Nese, a guy who is, uh, you know, we talked about you know, Rich Swan going to WWE, uh, you know, out of Evolve and out of the Indies and, you know, being a, a mainstay for a while in the Cruiserweight division and on the 205 Live program. Uh, Tony Nese fits that same bill. John Davis is a guy I had completely forgotten about, but I remembered really enjoying him uh, when he would make his infrequent appearances in IWA Mid-South uh, with his tag partner, Corey Chavis, who we'll see a little bit later. Uh, so I was intrigued to see what he would be like here. And, uh, you know, this... This does at least, you know, have a little bit of the makings of a stylistic uh, battle in the sense that John Davis is more of a hard-hitting physical wrestler. Tony Nese, while he is hard-hitting, there's more of the, you know, the speed and the technique. So I have, uh, I have relatively high hopes for this one as we get going. Nice starts with big kicks, but Davis shoves him off the ropes and hits a big shoulder tackle. Nice back with more kicks, and Davis just throws Nice into the air. Nice quickly back up, knocks him down, and Nice hits a springboard moonsault from yeah. the apron back into the ring. It's yeah, it's basically a, a lion salt where he slings in from the outside, like you said, in you know into the second round, hits that. Uh, the one thing I'll say at the beginning of this as well, and it's a contrast to some of the other guys we see on this show, and it's one of the things that's always annoyed me on the indie scene is everybody wants to throw 
low kicks or middle kicks like they're a guy who's actually trained doing it, but about only half the guys ever actually look like they've trained. Tony Nice looks like a guy who it's acceptable for him to throw these kicks. He looks like he's thrown them before. Tony uh, Nice and Bobby Fish are a, a class ahead of everyone else on these kicks. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. And there are some guys that are using these kicks a lot, and it just sometimes looks silly. It does not here uh, look silly at all, Tony Nice. Uh, he follows up that, that lion salt with a running leg lariat, but it's only a one count, and Nice looks a little bit frustrated. Nice can't whip Davis into the corner. Davis tries a power slam, but Nice slips away, and Davis ends up hitting a tilt-a-whirl power slam. Yeah, this was awesome, like a helicopter into a power slam. Uh, then he follows it up with a hard chop, forearms in the corner, hard Irish whip into the corner, but Davis only gets a two count. And this is where I note that it's former ECW referee Mike Keener oh. uh, counting here. So didn't we've didn't got notice a, that one. Yes, I don't know if that's a, a Gabe Sapolsky booking there, throwing a bone to a, one of the referees in the company that he used to work for. Uh, in any event, Nice comes back with some hard kicks, but runs into, talk about hard, a front elbow. I love that, <laughs> that just front elbow from Davis that cuts off the momentum from Nice. And at this point, I'm feeling like my memories of John Davis are, uh, are are valid. He's looking really good here. Yeah, Davis with a long, delayed vertical suplex. Nice fights back, can't slam him. Davis throws Nice chest first into the buckle, then hits a belly-to-back suplex. Nice catches him with a heel kick or a leg lariat, and Nice then off the second rope just gets ragdolled in a bear hug. This was awesome. Yeah, Nice jumps off the second rope. Davis catches him in midair. Perfect suspended bear hug, which is really impressive when you consider that he caught him in midair and it, and it was immediately in the right position. Gorilla Monsoon uh, looking yes. down from up high. Approved. Thrilled, thrilled by the execution here on this bear hug. Uh, Davis is ragdolling, like you said, ragdolling Nice, but then he isn't really able to hold him up as much. Now there's sort of more down knees first on the mat. That allows Nice to uh, to be able to get out of the bear hug. Yeah, he fights out with strikes, hits some big kicks, elbow in the corner, and then a knee to the downed Davis, but only a two count. It was weird because this running double knees in the corner when Davis is slumped down, uh, the running double knees from Tony Nice, that is his current finisher in modern professional wrestling. So I, I was kind of thrown off here that it was just you know a bit of a transitional spot. Nice to the top, gets caught by Davis, but Nice hits a top rope Frankensteiner for a two count. We get a rolling elbow, huge lariat by Davis. He gets another long two count. The crowd is not feeling Tony Nice at all here, even though he looks very impressive. Not, not as good as he does in modern days, but still you can tell there's something here with him. But the crowd is firmly behind John Davis. Davis gets caught with a super kick and a German suplex with a bridge for another two count by Nice. Nice goes for the tornado DDT, but Davis sets him back on the top rope. I love this. He it's not just like he go he's in the position for the tornado DDT and Davis blocks it. Uh, nice gets the full rotation on the DDT, but it can't actually take him down to the mat, and so Davis just brings him right back into the corner where he had him set up before. Really cool. Nice then leaps off and gets hit with a spine buster. Buckle bomb. 
than three seconds around the world for the pin. John Davis is your winner, and he did look pretty darn good here. Yeah, I love this finish. Like you said, Nice comes off the second rope, and Davis, instead of catching him with a bear hug this time, catches him in a similar position and just spine busters him down, buckle bomb, and then, like you said, that spinning torture rack bomb for the win. Uh, both guys look good, fun match, and John Davis, like I said, for a guy who I remembered being good, but I also didn't remember seeing him in uh, in a lot of singles matches back then. Uh, very impressed. I'm looking forward to seeing another match from him in this tournament. These fans, though, and part of it is just it's not a big enough crowd that the idiots get drowned out. Yeah, very true. Particularly if you're listening to this with uh, with headphones, with earbuds in, as I always do when I'm watching these shows for this podcast, you can just hear every idiotic comment that these people are making. Uh, indie wrestling crowds, even in modern times, can be annoying, but I feel like still here in 2011, we're much closer uh, to the really annoying indie crowds of the <laughs> early 2000s than we are to the somewhat more, pardon the pun, evolved crowds of the 2020s and beyond. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it gets frustrating at times. Yeah, when it gets quiet because there's so few people, it's real quiet. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to the ring. Sammy Callahan versus Brody Lee. Yeah, I am hyped for this because Brody Lee was an incredible wrestler. Uh, it goes without saying. And Sammy Callahan is a guy who you talked about uh, before we started recording, guys that I had seen a lot of at this time. Sammy Callahan is a guy who I had seen a ton of uh, by 2011 because sort of the the last crop of guys uh, when IWA Mid-South was still running a lot in the Chicago area in Joliet, Illinois, like the last crop of guys that came through there that were pretty much unknown uh, that were really impressive were like Sammy Callahan, Michael Elgin, uh, Prince Mustafa Ali, who's gone on to have a long career in the WWE. Uh, there's a core of three, four, five guys that that really stood out from the rest. And Sammy Callahan was one of those guys. And I just remember being a huge fan of him on those shows. And here we're a couple years later. He's a little bit more polished. And he still is definitely in his phase of being, uh, you know, a hard hitting, like, you know, kind of a you know crazy character and like a crazy guy with great facial expressions, but uh, more of a wrestler than a brawler like we would see him you know in later years into modern times so uh, looking forward to this one yeah definitely uh looking like a wrestler but his kind of his appearance uh you know hair wise facially <laughs> looks like uh an emo kid of the early 2000s yes. is now 30 that's... He looks like he's he looks like he's working the late shift at Hot Topic it, after flunking out of college. Yeah, it, it it that look doesn't age well. No, well, and it's also the gear is a strange look too because he's got as I always referred to it that like jelly bean style singlet where mm -hmm. the singlet doesn't have like legs that even go down your thighs. It's just like trunk level on the bottom and then the, you know the singlet on the top, and then he's got the. Uh, it's sort of the, you know, you hear people talk about in the, the old UWF, UWFI days when guys would be wearing the uh, uh, the boots with the knee pads and the kick pads are all the same color and they call it the go-go boots look. Yes. This is the uh, the white go-go boots look here. It's, uh, it's definitely a little strange, but I'm not going to let that distract me because I remember how good Sammy Callahan was at this point. And Brody Lee is every bit the Brody Lee that he would go on to be later on. 
yeah, he's got uh, he's got the jeans, he's got the the dirty white T-shirt, and uh, and and yeah, Brody Lee looking uh, looking always like Brody Lee here, and yeah, I was super excited to see him and Sammy Callahan here, and the bell rings and Sammy just runs at Lee like a crazy man. Yes, rips Brody's shirt off, and Sammy starts laying in some chops, but Brody out of the corner knocks him down right away. Yeah, see, uh, that happens. Then Sammy rush, you know, bull rushes him again. Uh, Brody punches Sammy after getting the shirt ripped off. He did not like that. Uh, we also learn from Lenny Leonard, bringing us up to speed as always, that Brody Lee was suspended for attacking John Moxley at Evolve Four, uh, but has been reinstated. On the floor, Brody lays in some big chops. And then back in the ring, Callahan hits Lee, and, and Lee is still standing on the apron. Callahan jumps to the middle rope, tries to hit Lee, but Lee just knocks him out of the air. Yeah, this was awesome. Swats him, swats him out of the air. And already I'm just I'm falling in love all over again with Brody Lee as a professional wrestler here because he is so different from everybody else we've seen so far on the show. And he can keep up with these guys, but he's just He's, he's a big guy by Indy Sanders, wrestling like a big man. And as the match goes on, the thing that's maybe the most refreshing thing about him is the pacing. It's not yes. move, move, move. It's not a mile a minute. I feel like everything he's doing matters so much. And it stands out in a good way compared to everybody else on the show. And I'm not criticizing the other guys, but it's, it's just, just different. It's, it's different. And it's really, really nice to have that, particularly on a show where it's a tournament, so you're guaranteed. It's a one-night, eight-man tournament, so you're guaranteed seven singles matches with a lot of other guys that wrestle a pretty similar style. And so having Brody Lee here, at least in the first round, and against an opponent, uh, the caliber of Sammy Callahan, is a nice breath of fresh air a few matches into this show. Yeah, Brody Lee, you know, here in this Evolve show, in his Dragon Gate stint, uh, he's... He wrestles the big man style, but with a speed that doesn't yes. make it plotting or make it look like a big man style. It's like it, it's his own style because there's there's a speed element to it, and and he then can also break out the big moves, like because he's got that agility too. It's it's super impressive to see. Well, and it's also nice because he doesn't bust them out all the time. He still wrestles primarily like a big man. Like you said, he has enough speed and agility that he can keep up with the, you know, the speed and agility of everyone that he's in the ring with. And then every once in a while, he'll bust out some sort of high flying thing, but he doesn't do it so often that you're just sitting there frustrated thinking like, well, man, we've actually got one big guy in the show and he's just doing cruiserweight stuff like everybody else. When I talked about yes. earlier that Keith Lee Donovan Dijak match from the one uh, evolve show that I went to live, that was my big complaint that it was these two big dudes. And all I was doing is watching them do the exact same match that other guys, a hundred pounds lighter than them were doing on the same show. And at first, yeah, it's impressive to see them do that. But then it's like, man, I, I, they actually are capable of doing something different than everyone else on the show. Let's see him do something different. Whereas with Brody Lee here, it's almost like, you know, we talk about uh, like a Stan Hansen on some of these shows we've reviewed where, you know, Stan Hansen, obviously not a high flyer. He's a big man. He's, you know, he's a wild man. But then sometimes out of nowhere, he'll, you know, guys will be bouncing off the ropes and he'll hit a cross body. Yeah. He'll, hit a, he'll hit a drop <laughs> kick. And you're like, oh my God, Stan Hansen just did a drop kick. But it's because he didn't just do a top rope splash and a Rana and everything else beforehand that it actually stands out. Brody Lee, same deal here. 
Callahan off the middle turnbuckle, caught by Brody Lee in a bear hug position. He rams Sammy into the buckles, then hits a belly-to-belly suplex. Callahan ends up countering a suplex into a sleeper. Brody goes down to a knee, but then Brody reverses. Sammy tries a Saito suplex, but Brody just shoves him into the corner and then hits a great punch to Sammy Callahan. I loved when Sammy Callahan would do this where a guy is trying to pick him up and then he out of nowhere will grab that sideways lock and go for the Saito suplex. Uh, we see it throughout this match where sometimes he hits it, sometimes he doesn't, uh, but just a very cool thing. Sammy Callahan, uh, particularly at this time period, is maybe as, as strange as it sounds, but he was really good uh, at the little things. He was a guy who clearly had watched his 90s All Japan tapes. Uh <laughs> You know, and it tried to incorporate as much of that as he could with this, you know, kind of odd looking character that he had. But yeah, very cool sequence. Pump handle fall away slam for a two count. After a big chop, Sammy then pulls down his straps and asks for another. Brody obliges. They trade brutal chops and slaps. <laughs> and then including the the spit chop from Sammy, which is always disgusting, where he spits on his hand, <laughs> throws a chop, the spit goes flying. Uh, I was amused that uh, that Lenny Leonard and Rob Naylor compared this style battle tournament, the first of its kind, to UFC 1 in 1993. Uh, I, Naylor did get in a good line about Jim Brown loving the action tonight. Which, uh, <laughs> popped to me if nobody else, but it was just the styles were much more divergent in UFC 1 than they were here in style battle 1. I will say that with certainty. Callahan gets caught running in with a huge boot to the face, turned him totally inside out. Brody with two running boots to the face while Sammy's in the corner. Absolutely brutal. Callahan then flips off the ref. He says he's not quitting. Brody misses another boot in the corner. He goes out to the floor, and Sammy does a tope, wiping out Brody and knocking over the guardrail into the first row. (laughs) This guardrail takes a tumble several times throughout the show, and it it looks really impressive when it happens. But in actuality, this guardrail is just, it's a guardrail that isn't connected to any other rails. So any any hit that it takes, it's going to go over onto the one row of fans that it is protecting. Uh, But yeah, this sort of heat-seeking missile-style suicide dive, very impressive from, from Sammy Callahan. He uh, hits a couple running chops outside. He goes for it again, though, and chops the ring post hard. Oh, this was hard. This was brutal. We get two release belly-to-back suplexes on the apron where Brody just just ends up dumping him over the rail into the first row. He tosses him. It's these belly-to-back suplexes. He has him up in that back suplex or... Uh atomic drop position and launches and just, him <laughs> just launches him into the air gravity takes care of the rest and he lands back first on the apron each time and then like you said puts him into the crowd he, sammy just beats the 20 count after collapsing at 18 he comes into the ring gets hit with the truck stop which is uh, a modified boss man slam yeah a spinning boss man slam a black hole slam if you will uh he hits a second truck stop and Sammy Callahan kicks out again. This is where Brody goes to pick Sammy up. And then Sammy, out of nowhere, grabs the waist lock, hits the Saito suplex, two huge running lariats, uh, a diving forearm to the down Brody Lee, 
but only gets to the crowd is going wild here. And this is by far the best yeah. action we've seen so far here on this show. Yeah, Brody didn't kick out. He grabbed the bottom rope to stop yes, the pin attempt. That's correct. And yeah, the crowd is into it. Sammy tries for the stretch muffler submission, but he's kicked off by Brody. Callahan on the apron. He avoids Lee. Callahan goes up and over back into the ring, but gets hit with a super kick by Brody Lee, followed by a Liger bomb for a two count again. A running Liger bomb. Joey Styles was somewhere in the New York, New Jersey area <laughs> screaming about this being a Tiger bomb. Incorrect. A running Liger bomb. As you said, only gets two. I was ready for that to be the finish. It was not. Uh, Brody picks up Sammy Callahan for another Liger bomb. Can't get him up, though. Uh, Brody is able to block a Death Valley driver attempt from Sammy Callahan at this point. Hits a big right hand. Yeah, boot by Callahan, muscles him up, and he hits the Death Valley driver. Still a two count, and the crowd is super into this. Yes, the first This Is Awesome chant of this match, uh, which as much as I'm not into that chant, it was accurate here. I love that Death Valley driver spot, by the way, because it was a struggle. Uh, Sammy Callahan, the much smaller man, and he He muscled him up. Yeah, he didn't just pop up the big man right away. He had to really struggle and get him up, and it made it. Uh, so much more impressive and made it so much more of a believable uh, near fall than it otherwise would have been. Callahan off the second rope, caught in a choke slam. The choke slam gets countered into a victory roll for a two count, and then he puts the stretch muffler on, but Brody is too close to the ropes, so he pulls Brody Lee into the center and then starts kicking Lee repeatedly while still in the hold, and Brody Lee has to tap out. What a finish. Super cool. Great match. Yeah, this was a fantastic match. This was awesome stuff. Like you said, that finish where uh, Sammy has Brody in the stretch muffler. By that point, it's sort of a modified position. It's a stretch muffler, but it's almost turning into like like an inverted Boston Crab of sorts. And then, as you said, Sammy is almost hitting. He's hitting axe kicks with the leg that is also doing the submission hold. Uh, and basically knocks, uh, pretty much knocks Brody Lee out. Fantastic match. I'm disappointed because I wanted to see more Brody Lee here on this show. Sammy Callahan looked great as well, but I wanted to see Brody Lee run the gauntlet, make it all the way through to the final here. Sadly, that that was not to be, but what we got to see of him here was was great. And and it's also frustrating, though, because in any other era, he would have been able to be so much bigger of a deal uh, going to a big company than he would have, uh, you know, he went to WWE and, you know, had a run there and then just didn't do anything for a long time. No fault of his own. You know, you just think if the scene in Japan would have been a little bit different, a little bit earlier, or if there had been other alternatives to WWE, like this guy was perfectly made to be a big man monster in every other company other than the one company that, uh, you know, that, that just, running running the world at that point wwe and it just uh it didn't entirely work out no we got to see uh sammy callahan uh take on tetsio naito at an aaw show in logan's uh uh, in uh, logan Logan square Square auditorium Auditorium. yeah yeah so that, that was a good time that was the last time i saw sammy callahan live um we go to the next match bobby fish versus austin aries and holy crap does a shaved head, no facial hair Bobby Fish look super generic and boring? Oh, my God. Yeah, it is. You know, people sometimes say Bobby Fish. Well, dude doesn't have a personality. 
A, I don't think that's entirely accurate. And B, if you didn't think he had a personality, let's say, in his NXT days, this look here is is as generic as you've ever so seen. So generic. He's really good shape, bulked up, bald Chris Daniels here is the look. Um, it is, it's, yeah, it was jarring. It took me quite a while to get used to. And his opponent, hybrid style, Austin Aries. Yeah, we uh, we start out with some grappling, and then someone starts an IWA slow clap, and I thought you, Adam <laughs> Summers, might be in the crowd here. <laughs> yeah, I noted that as well, actually, as I sit here and look at my uh, my iPad and and consult my notes as we do this podcast. I wrote the exact same thing. I'm like, I don't remember being in New Jersey in May. Uh, you know, so it would have been a couple of weeks after my 30th birthday. So maybe things got really crazy, and I don't remember. But I uh, I'm pretty sure that's not the case. Uh, but yeah, so like you said, a lot of uh, a lot of mat wrestling, a lot of uh, holds and counter holds early. We're told by Lenny Leonard that Austin Aries is thus far undefeated in Evolve, whereas Bobby Fish ha- had uh, done nothing but lose up until the most recent show. And so now the question is, can he continue that momentum? We should also mention one very I, I thought quizzical thing uh, on this show was that. The matches, you know, the win-loss records were a big deal in Evolve. Again, like we yes. said, with the, the post-match interviews, with the win-loss records, they were trying to go for like a UFC-style presentation of pro wrestling, at least in terms of some of the aesthetics of it. But here in this tournament, the wins and losses do not count for your record? That is correct. <laughs> that so it's was a announced. tournament that has less stakes than any individual singles match. <laughs> Aries starts to work on the leg with some strikes. Fish with like one kick just knocks Aries down, but Aries is able to stay on the attack. Yeah, we talked about earlier, Bobby Fish, his kicks look great here. If I had any complaint going back to that last match, it's that Sammy Callahan does not need to be doing like kickboxing style kicks. No. Like just just throw your awesome forearms, throw your lariats, leave the kicks to the, uh, the Bobby Fish. Uh, types uh, that, that are here in this tournament they trade strikes and it looks like fish has some blood on the bridge of his nose at this point big kicks by fish but only a two fish is inside he goes out to the apron does a slingshot senton which at this which point, is uh, aries rob, move one of aries yeah, moves. Yeah. rob no rob Naylor notes several times in this match that bobby fish is using austin aries moves Aries gets whipped in the buckle chest first, bouncing out of the corner on impact. Fish starts attacking the leg of Aries. Abdominal stretch by Fish. That gets reversed. Fish is able to hip toss his way out of it. He leaps yeah, around. To... Or sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying he he leaps to the top rope, but uh, Aries shoves him off to the floor. Aries goes to the top and he hits the Randy Savage double axe to the floor. And this is when we get our first crowd chanting macho chant. Yes, exactly. The macho macho chant. Uh, Rob Naylor talks a little bit about Randy Savage. And yeah, I didn't realize when we were watching this uh, that, as you said earlier, this was the very day uh, that Randy Savage had passed. Uh, Also thought it was... uh, you know, it was noteworthy. It was interesting that they mentioned, and Lenny Leonard mentioned it, you know, some foreshadowing coming up for, for later in the match, that Bobby Fish told him earlier in the day that he has several new submissions that he's been working on, and you just might see one of them here in this match. Back in the ring, we get a slingshot senton and last chancery submission, but Fish gets the bottom rope for the break. 
Ares takes him down, and instead of going for his dumb power drive elbow... Oh, God, he... <laughs> yeah, we've talked about that before, where he sits there and waves his arms either way, and it's... Uh, yeah, it, on that final battle show, it got a same old bleep chant. That was three <laughs> years earlier, so you can imagine how excited people were uh, to watch this year in 2011. Yeah, instead of doing that, he goes to the top rope and hits the Macho Man elbow drop off the top for a two-count. Nice touch. Tilt-a-whirl backbreaker and a moonsault off the top by Fish. Does not go that moonsault, by the way. He overshoots Ares and misses but, really awkwardly. Yeah, Fish overshoots his target, missing the moonsault. Ares goes for a frog splash, but misses. I'll just say I don't think missing a top rope moonsault that badly is Japanese junior heavyweight style, <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. I would say that's American indie junior heavyweight that style, is. actually. Fish on the outside. Aries does a tope suicida and wipes out the guardrail, crashing into the first row again. That one guy, his knees took a beating here. This one guy in particular that I think four times on this show, there are dives, suicide dives on his side that knocked this untethered guardrail directly into his kneecaps. Aries misses a drop kick off the top. Fish chops Aries down with kicks to the leg, a dragon screw, an exploder suplex, and off the top rope hits a diving headbutt, but still only a two count. Aries runs in, gets caught by Fish, who puts him on his shoulder, dropping him down for a gut buster. Fish charges in, gets caught with a Japanese arm drag, and Fish's legs hit the corner. Real awkward. This is uh, small ring problems here. Yes, this tiny ring. This is basically the Hiromu Takahashi counter belly-to-belly suplex into the corner spot, but instead with a Ricky Morton-style Japanese arm drag. Two huge drop kicks on Fish in the corner. Brain Buster and Fish kicks out at two. Aries to the top again, misses the 450. Counters Fish and hits a Brain Buster again for a two count. They're doing a lot here and kicking out of a lot. This it's a well, very yeah, good I, I yeah these are all big Aries moves here that uh, yeah. Fish is getting the kick out of. Well, yeah, the brainbuster. If I'm not mistaken, the brainbuster into the 450 yep. was how Aries beat Samoa Joe for the Ring of Honor World Title. So yeah, Fish is kicking out of a lot here. Now, the match had a really I thought kind of odd pace early, but it picked up as we went toward the finish. Aries floats over into the last chancery again. Aries can't bridge because of the damage to his leg. We get a rolling elbow by Aries. The Brain Buster attempt is countered. Fish rolls through into a heel hook. Aries can't get to the ropes. And then he tapped. This came out of nowhere. And Bobby Fish is your winner. Wow, I did not expect that. No, I did not expect that at all. I really like the finish. And I love when you do that in tournaments when you have an unexpected finish. You know, a tap out when you're not expecting it. A guy winning with a move that at least going into the match isn't known as his finisher. All those things build suspense and make for believable near falls or submission attempts later on in the tournament. Uh, but yeah, Bobby Fish certainly would not have been my, uh, if I was putting a bet down, it wouldn't have been on Bobby Fish to win this match. Uh, and uh, Fish says that, you know, like Lenny Leonard said, he had a new submission to try. He tried it. He said it was his biggest win ever. And he said that Brian Danielson caught him in that heel hook at Evolve 4 and that he learned from it. He took it as his own, and he now likes to call it the fish hook. This actually, it's not something you necessarily think of with Bobby Fish, but I thought of the the post-match promos that we've had so far. It was 
actually not bad. Like it was a totally fine, like believable, real sports type of post-match promo. Uh, Good stuff here all around from Bobby Fish. Larry Dallas and Rebby Sky come out. Yeah, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this. This was it was fine indie level heel manager stuff, but uh, yeah, apparently they threw in the towel, uh, costing Chuck Taylor a win over Johnny Gargano <laughs> at, a, uh, at a previous Evolve show. I was a big Chuck Taylor guy back at this uh, at this time, so uh, that definitely perked my ears up. Uh, apparently, the the deal was if they interfered in any matches here on this show, they would be kicked out. They'd be banned. Uh, the crowd is getting on him. Rebby Sky has a great line where she, the, the crowd is, you know, they're, they're chanting all different things. She's like, you live in New Jersey. Shut up. And, and that, uh, that, that was great. But yeah, basically the thing coming out of this is Larry Dallas and Rebby Sky have somebody that is going to be in this multi-man fray match. He's not saying who it'll be, but he says this guy has more muscles than anyone ever. And uh, he's going to be the one drawing the last number in the fray and he'll win the whole thing. So that's, that's that. It basically is a way to give the guys a little bit of a break before we go to the semifinals. Rebby Sky would go on to become the future Mrs. Matt Hardy. Yes. John Davis versus A.R. Fox in a second round match. You mean the whole foxing show. The, <laughs> the, uh, the crowd are trying to be a little too cute here uh, with this chant, but compared to some of the other stuff, we have to hear them yell intermittently. I'll, I'll take it. So Davis just starts laying in forearms after uh, some good action here to start, but Fox avoids a clothesline by dropping down and then doing a kip-up. He hits a Rana, then a Lion Salt gets a two-count. The thing I note right away that I like about this is here in the second round with guys that already had taxing matches, uh, like they're going for it right away. There's no feeling out process. The pace is basically we're starting the match with a finishing stretch, and We'll see how long it goes, but I'm hoping it's going to be one of those where it's a five-minute match because the guys know they need to get through, uh, you know, to uh, you know to be fresh for the final. Fox gets caught and powerbombed by Davis. Naylor tells us that AR Fox was trained by Mr. Hughes. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, the former big cat himself, Mr. Hughes. I can't say that I see a lot of Mr. Hughes influence <laughs> in the very high-flying, innovative style of one AR Fox, but still. No, and uh, I don't hear about the I don't hear about the lineage of Mr. Hughes trainees either. No, <laughs> no. I, I do wish that he would have worn uh, sunglasses for the entire <laughs> match. That would have really uh, maybe would have believed it a little bit more. Davis continues the beatdown. He runs him into the corner, then hits the Oklahoma Stampede power slam. Davis picks up Ar Fox from a small package position, like off the ground, picks yes. him up, turns it into a vertical suplex, showing off the power. Davis then misses a shoulder into the corner. He rolls out to the floor. Ar Fox runs, jumps off the second turnbuckle, does a like a kickoff into a moonsault on the floor, hitting Davis. Yeah, this is awesome. It's not even the turnbuckle; it's the post. He's on the apron. Uh, Davis is on the floor standing and Fox runs the length of the apron runs up the guard or runs up the ring post, I should say, and flips off the ring post, not the top of it, but the upper part of it flips back and nails Davis uh, with a moonsault, really a knee to the head, uh, but a very cool different dive here. Back in the ring, we get a springboard 450, but it only gets a two count. 
Fox misses a splash in the corner, and Davis murders him with a pounce. This was incredible. <laughs> he hits him with this pounce. It sends AR Fox, and granted, this is a very small ring, but it sends him all the way this across the so ring. Great. He hits the he hits his head on the top turnbuckle. He goes flying so hard and so far across the ring, uh, and it is absolute unmitigated garbage that this was not the finish. He, I was angry oh, legitimately he kicked angry. out he kicked out and i i wrote here all caps of my notes that should have been the finish <laughs> yes it was great uh but fox comes off the top hits the code breaker off the top out of nowhere for the win uh, i'm wrong ar fox should have won the match uh, the people really like him and he's good people love it but i just love the pounce and it was oh. executed to perfection by davis and ar fox took it like he was murdered so i definitely wanted to see that be a finish yeah no i i did as well i i like i said i acknowledge ar fox looked again for its experience level particularly very good here crowd loved him but man i thought john davis had two really solid showings here and like my takeaway from this so far is the match I want to see most is the one we're not going to get. I want to see John Davis, Davis versus Brody, Brody Lee. Lee. Me too. I had that written down. I'm like, boy, uh, <laughs> I want to see a loser's wanna... bracket. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Give me the C block here. I want to see. <laughs> I want to see John Davis try to pounce Brody Lee and see what happens. Like that. There is a there's a great match here on this night that did not happen. Um, but yeah, so good stuff here. I really liked how quick this was. Like I said, it was a frantic pace. Both guys trying to get through quickly. Uh, and I think it couldn't have been more than five minutes, but yeah, it was about uh, five minutes. Really fun five minute match here. Sammy Callahan versus Bobby Fish in a second round match. They start out trading kicks, but it's just Fish killing Sammy with kicks. As it should be. As it Bobby should be. Bobby Fish and Sammy Callahan are having a, a Muay Thai striking battle. Bobby Fish should be winning that going away every time. So I'm totally fine with that. Uh, Sammy starts to get the advantage with the, he hits a running chop. He hits a, uh, a headbutt and has a great stagger afterwards. Uh, and yeah, that is what he needs to be doing strike-wise. Use your arms and your head. Keep the kicks to somebody else. Fish hits a falcon arrow, exploder, then off the top hits a diving headbutt, only a two count. As much as I don't want to see diving headbutts in professional wrestling anymore, his headbutt, and he hits it a few times here on the show, it is beautiful. And it, it is. It, he does a great job. It makes contact, which something you, know, you don't necessarily want uh, from a you know guy's actual well-being standpoint, but from a, a looking good as a move, uh, it, it's impressive. Sammy hits the Saito suplex. They trade shots, kicks, and strikes, and Callahan then hits two diving forearms. Fish is laying on his stomach, and Callahan gets on Fish's back, and he kind of pins Fish's arms behind his Sammy's legs there while he's uh, kind of mounted uh, in a mount yeah, position. Like he gets the hooks in on the back and then kind of tucks, uh, tucks Bobby Fish's arms in the hooks. So he's completely exposed, and yeah, it's uh, it's bad news there for uh, for Bobby Fish. Yeah, he just starts laying in huge forearm strikes to the back of Fish's head and ends up knocking him out. The ref calls for the bell, and Sammy Callahan's your winner. Another fun surprise finish. Yeah, fun surprise finish. Really, it's something that felt more like a Brian Danielson type of finish uh, than a Sammy Callahan finish, but a quick, hard-hitting match. I love the fact 
that both semifinals had a real sense of urgency and guys throwing bombs right away again, knowing that they still are going to have to wrestle one more time afterward uh, from a, a kayfabe standpoint. If you're watching this as though it was real, that's exactly what all the guys should be doing. Uh, and, and that's what they did. Bobby Fish post-match, I thought, was tremendous. You could hear him uh, like questioning the ref, you know, but he sounds dazed, but he's questioning the ref, like, what happened? I, I, why is the match over? I don't know what happened. Uh, same thing post-match when, uh, when Lenny Leonard tries to interview him. Uh, I, I did not go into the show necessarily thinking of like Bobby Fish being good on the mic or good in these sorts of moments, but he was, he was very good here, not just in between the ropes. The SAT, Joel and Will Maximo, not yeah, big, Jose. Big Lance Von Eric vibes here. <laughs> Taking on Alex Colon and Ricky Reyes, the new Havana Pitbulls. Yeah, this was crazy in a couple levels. First, the new SATs, uh, only one of the original SATs, and uh, they are both much bigger than I remember uh, Joel and Jose Maximo. And then on the other side, it's Ricky Reyes, the longtime tag team partner of Rocky Romero in the Havana Pitbulls. And then a young Alex Colon just here doing wrestling moves. Whereas now in modern times, Alex Colon is a crazy deathmatch wrestler. One of the, uh, if you're ranking deathmatch wrestlers, one of the uh, best in the United States, one of the mainstays of Game Changer Wrestling. I had no idea that this was sort of the uh, the wrestling origin story of Alex. It was a Colon. Havana Pitbull. You had no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about this match because no. it is just moves, moves, moves. Nothing really makes sense. There's some really impressive stuff, particularly when you look at the size of uh, of the Maximos. Uh, but like I said, I don't really know. There's a whole lot to say other than they hit the Spanish Fly uh, off the top for the win. I'm always happy to see that, uh, whether it's one legit SAT or oh, two. I, I was nervous because these were bigger SATs yes. than we're used to, but they yes. did get over on that Spanish fly on Cologne, Perfectly. got the win, the SATs with the victory, but it, and it was kept short. This was extremely yes. short. Yes, it was totally fine for what it was. Uh, that then takes us to... What the, was not short enough, this match. <laughs> oh, my God. The fray. Uh, this... So it's 90-second intervals, two men start, total of eight guys. It's elimination rules. It's not over-the-top rope elimination. It's pinfall or submission. Uh, there's just a lot of dudes here. We have Cheech Hernandez of the Cheech and Cloudy tag team from early days of Ring of Honor. He's here more serious and, and looking a lot like Sanjay Dutt in the ring. Uh, he's taking on a human being named Scott Reed. Who looks as, he looks as though he should have been teaming with Craven. In IWA Total Impact. <laughs> yes. If you, uh, I think that's on the uh, bonus feed. If you're oh, a it Patreon is. subscriber, yeah. That's not a sell. I don't know what it is. So they're the first two. <laughs> they do moves. And then I freak out because who comes out next? Brian XL of Combat Zone Wrestling fame. If you were a fan of Combat Zone Wrestling in the early 2000s as ECW was dying off and we were all searching for something to take that void, uh, for a lot of us, CZW was that thing. And Brian XL was, he was part of that whole crew of guys in the early days where you had you know, the Amazing Red, the SATs, a very young Briscoe brothers, Jody Fleisch, uh, Rick Blade. Uh, Brian XL was right in there with him. And, and so I, I had no expectation that we were going to see in 2011, 
Ryan XL here on this show. I, I felt was, like Rob Naylor was equally as surprised yes. when he came out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Surprised and excited. Rob yes. Naylor, I, I, I could definitely, I, I felt a spiritual kinship to him <laughs> when Brian XL came out here. Uh, what I was very disappointed by was that, so XL comes out, he has a springboard crossbody, a crazy springboard flying Rana, and nobody in this building has any idea who Brian no. XL is. Nobody is reacting, and it just makes me very sad. He does this dive over the top to the floor, completely out of control, and oh. his life was saved by Hernandez catching him. Yes. Oh my gosh, that was terrifying. The most terrifying uh, variant of a Sasuke special you've ever seen. Oh. Uh, but yes, Cheech Hernandez doing, uh, doing the wrestling god's work here, catching Brian XL. Uh, we're informed that the winner of this match will get a shot with Dragon Gate USA coming up. Uh, so yeah, we've got... <laughs> so they, Blaine they... Rage is in next. <laughs> I lost it at this point. For one, this guy, it's like if you threw high voltage and Chad Collier yes. uh, in the dryer when they were very damp and left them in too long, they would come out as Blaine Rage. And just the idea of that name. Like if you were to take a wrestling first name and a wrestling last name that do not go together at all. <laughs> Uh, I, you couldn't do much better oh. slash worse than first name Blaine, last name Rage. No, they should have named this the cagematch.net special because it was yes. just me hitting the, <laughs> the database to say, who has this guy ever wrestled? Where has he performed? What is going on? When was on? the last time you had a match? How, <laughs> yeah. how is this his only match? Been? What is this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he, he hits a cradle shock, the old uh, Chris Saban finisher. Uh, yeah, we get some crazy stuff. We get like a double Rana. Everybody lands on everybody. Corey Chavis is in next. Yes, and I'm excited about this because, like I said, this is John Davis's old Dark City Fight Club tag team partner. Chavis eliminates Brian XL. He eliminates Rage. And then... He kills Plain Rage with a Lariat. I love Corey <laughs> Chavis even more here. Yeah, Corey Chavis killing dudes. was, was This is the highlight of the match. Yes. Pinky Sanchez is in next. He wipes out Chavis with a slow and scary flip dive to the floor. Yeah, so a lot of uh, a lot of ass based offense from Pinky Sanchez as uh, he apparently was was competing with Ryusuke Taguchi at this point to see who would take over the lineage of Shiroko Shinaka. Uh, not actually the case, but it sure felt like that here. Uh, but yeah, he tries that step up somersault plancha. Uh, and it almost went spectacularly Ooh. wrong. Reed eliminates Hernandez. <laughs> what does he eliminate him with? The only move that a guy for that who looks like he's from the power plant should use as a finisher, the roll of the dice. Derek Rise, R-Y-Z-E is in. Oh and this, this is... guy is a <laughs> tiny indie geek. Like... He's got it's the most indie guy we've seen. He's by the far. most indie guy. He has no business being on this show with like upper echelon indie guys. No. This is this is not it. No, this is the guy that when you see like we've talked about before, like when I would go to IWA Mid South shows, and it would be like the one or two really good guys from a bunch of you know crappy Midwest indies uh, would show up in IWA Mid South, and then you'd be like, oh my god, these guys are great, and it's cool to see them wrestle other similar guys. Uh, this guy, Rise, was like 
one of the other 18 guys on those other yes. indies uh, <laughs> show that just wasn't very good and had no hope of, of going anywhere after this. Reed is eliminated by Chavis. Rise eliminated by Chavis. <laughs> Larry Dallas presents a two in as the final entrant. Here's this a guy, guy I couldn't find any information on. I was <laughs> looking around trying. I'm like, who is this guy? What's his deal? Ah, two. He looks like he's nine feet tall here. Compared, like Ah, two. If we got, if we had gotten to see him next to Derek Rise, you, you <laughs> could have stacked up three Derek Rises uh, on top of each other in a trench coat, and they still would not have reached the chin of Atu. He spears Chavis to eliminate him. Atu then, with a scary press slam, dumps Sanchez to the floor. Loud, you can't wrestle chance at Atu. Yeah, these fans are not kind to him. I actually looked up, by the way, just now. Atu, uh, he wrestled for seven years. He debuted in 2008, so he had been wrestling for three years by now. Uh, and his uh, his trainers were Teddy Fine, Supreme Lee Great, and referee Mike Keener. <laughs> Okay. He last wrestled in 2015. Uh, let's see here. What is the promotion that he wrestled for? Pro Wrestling Syndicate. Uh, the other men in this match. This so this is one for the ages. This is a 10-man tag. It is Beefcake Charlie, Bone Saw, <laughs> Damian Gibbs, Philip Simon II, and... The Scranton Strangler, which feels like a character from The Office. Uh, they defeated Sprinkles, Giant Leather, Bo Jones, Atu, and Balls Mahoney. <laughs> Thank you, Randomizer. Right. Once you have that match, there, you, there's nowhere to go but down. You have to retire. Pinky hits a DDT off the second rope and gets the upset pin. Pinky Sanchez is your winner. And then we move to the finals of the tournament. Sammy Callahan versus A.R. Fox for the tournament final. Fox sets Callahan up on the top turnbuckle, comes running, jumps to the top with him. So they're both like seated on the top rope, but Fox like slips off him and falls out to the floor. This is uh, terrifying. And this like, we're not skipping anything. This is the opening, the opening spot move. of this match. The opening move of the finals of this tournament. Each guy has wrestled. Uh, this is the third time they're wrestling. I'm all for the sense of urgency and trying to end the match early. But unlike the first two matches, like this is just a little, or the, I should say the two semifinals. This is just kind of a ridiculous way. Uh, the start here as guys are going for the finish immediately. A good cover there by uh, Rob Naylor saying Callahan had that well scouted. Yes. Uh, yes. That's uh, Callahan yeah, doing the wrestling gods work here on commentary. Yeah. Callahan with a quick tope to the outside. Fox thrown back in. Fox does a springboard 450 to the floor. <laughs> this was nuts. A springboard 450 to the floor. Then he immediately gets back in the ring and hits a crazy no-hand somersault dive over the top rope to the floor. A.R. Fox living up to his high-flying style billing here in the style battle tournament. Callahan back in the ring hits a jumping clothesline off the second turnbuckle. 
Nigel Fox. McGinnis style. And so this yes. match, again, they are doing crazy impressive stuff, but nothing so far connects. Like, I don't mean connects as far as physically hitting, but we just have AR Fox hitting two completely nuts dives. And then they get back in the ring, and immediately Sammy Callahan is on offense, killing him with a lariat. Fox catches Callahan with a forearm as he went for the tope again. Fox to the top, drops the leg on the apron again. Yeah, that same spot we saw earlier. Uh, devastating stuff here. It, we also then see the uh, the attempt for the kick flip uh, off the apron, like we talked about earlier, where Era Fox runs up and kicks off the post of the floor. Uh, Sammy moves, catches him with the exploder on the floor. They're going a million miles an hour. <laughs> uh, the one thing that is going on here, though, and it's something I remember from going to a lot of these indie type of tournaments uh, in the 2000s into the early 20 teens, is that a lot of what in these matches guys rely on is the the you know the novelty or the pop of seeing them hit their big dive or their big spectacular move. And then once you're doing it two, three times in the same show, it starts to feel a little bit less spectacular. Back inside, Sammy chops Fox down. Sammy with open hand strikes, just slapping the face of Fox. So brutal. Yeah, these are great. Fox responds and says, I thought you were supposed to hit hard. So Sammy <laughs> obliges and hits him even more hard. Just like you said, open palm strikes. Knocks him down and Air Fox battles to the floor. This for me, this sequence was so much more effective yes. than the stuff we saw earlier. And not because I don't like high flying stuff, not because I don't like indie stuff, but this is the two guys like filling their role. I don't need to see Sammy Callahan doing a suicide dive like we saw him doing earlier in this match. Everybody else on this show, other than Brody Lee, is doing that. I want to see Sammy Callahan beating the hell out of dudes because that's what he's best at. And that's what the sequence was all about. Callahan with the sleeper, but the crowd gets behind Fox. He fights out Callahan with a boot and a death Valley driver. Then he does a move where he does like this short bounce off the ropes into a splash. Yeah, this is awesome. The only other guy that I've ever seen do this. And I think the guy that created this unless this came earlier uh, Shigehiro Irie uh, wrestles in Japan. He's wrestled for a myriad of promotions. Actually did uh, did a tour of the U.S., a rather extensive tour of the U.S. and Europe a couple years ago. But he does the same move where you're standing next to the ropes and it almost looks like you're going to just bounce off the ropes. And instead, you slingshot yourself back into a uh, like a falling splash. It's hard to describe if you haven't seen it, but uh, it's one of those things I'm surprised more people don't do. Fox with a stunner, then a kip up into another stunner. Fox with the top rope cutter for a two count. Fox with a swanton off the top, but misses a moonsault. Yeah, that swanton was wild. That was one of the uh, the more impressive swanton bombs I've ever seen. But instead of going for the cover, like you said, goes for a moonsault. Sammy gets the knees up and follows that with a crazy diving forearm kills AR Fox, but they end up in the ropes. And so the pin really is never able to take place. Callahan then tries to springboard off the middle rope. He slips. AR Fox hits a top rope code breaker, the move that he had won his previous two matches with, but Callahan kicks out. Fox then to the top. Sammy catches him with a Saito suplex off the top. 
you are underselling that this Saito suplex off the top, this backdrop driver is what we really should be calling it. Yes, off this, the top this is rope. a backdrop driver. This is, I, and I don't want to oversell this here, but I don't think I am. If I'm talking about moves that don't involve glass or barbed wire or thumbtacks or explosions or electric currents, this may have been the most terrifying in-ring professional wrestling move I have ever seen. It was absolutely devastating. It was executed perfectly. If they had slipped in even the slightest or over-rotated or under-rotated, Aero Fox's neck would have been broken irreparably. Uh, so he hits this, right? Sammy Callahan hits this. He hits another Saito suplex, regular style, a running forearm, and Aero Fox kicks out. He kicked out. out. I, I couldn't believe it took my earbuds off i threw <laughs> i threw the remote down i was completely out of this match at this point i have never seen a more devastating string together of three moves in my 37 years of watching pro wrestling uh, as i record this i'm 40 years old i've been watching wrestling for 37 years i've never seen a more devastating sequence that in, did not involve weapons or sharp objects and this man kicked out of this i am completely emotionally detached from whatever else is going to happen here. Well, not much else happened because Fox just goes for the move he tried at the beginning of the match and he where he just bounces off the top like a seated position, bounces off the top into a Spanish fly and gets the pin. AR Fox wins the tournament. The people are happy. Uh, this was a good match. This is a good tournament. This is a good show. I, I, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of fun watching this Evolve show. I'm still violently angry about that finish <laughs> sure. not being the finish. If you are, if that is not going to be the finish, if you are going to hit a Saito suplex off the top rope backdrop driver style and it's not going to be the finish, one of two things should be the case. Either you are in Madison Square Garden for the WrestleMania <laughs> main event, you are in the Tokyo Dome for the Wrestle Kingdom main event, or you shouldn't be doing it. Nobody should ever kick out of something that devastating on a show like this. I am not that type of person that usually gets frustrated about like ridiculous kickouts on indie shows because I've been to hundreds of them. I get it. It's all about it's all about getting noticed, getting the crowd to pop. But this was this was a Golden Gate Bridge too far for me here. Uh, but yes, other than that, uh, is that but, your worst thing on the show, or was there something worse for you on the show? Uh, no, I mean I can't say it's the worst thing because it was such a cool spot. It looked so <laughs> impressive, but just the idea that I think it was the most egregious thing on the show. Got it. Got it. I, I would say the worst thing on the show was either uh, Derek Rise's presence <laughs> or Blaine Rage's name. <laughs> would be would be tied both, both correct answers yes <laughs> my favorite thing on this show by far was the uh sammy callahan uh brody lee match that's one of the best matches we've watched uh, for a show for this podcast in a long time and that to me like that took me back to some of the matches that you know years earlier uh but in the same general time frame when i would be going to iwa mid-south shows i think of samoa joe and chris hero I think of, uh, you know, some of the Danielson matches uh, that I saw in IWA Mid-South. I think of a, uh, uh, a great uh, homicide Eric Cannon match that ended in <laughs> Eric Cannon get, getting legitimately knocked out. Like this had that feel of not indie-tastic in terms of high-flying craziness, but just uh, 
just relentlessly physical and really well-timed. This took me back to being in the front row for matches like that. So yeah, that was far and away the best thing on the show. Yeah, I, I agree. That was my favorite match. I think the best thing on the show was the pounce by John Davis. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, that was that was awesome. Uh, yeah, so that that was a great show. I think, uh, yeah, very fun. Uh, I didn't know what to expect going in. Um, I I highly enjoyed it. I the, from the commentary to the presentation, uh, it, it would have been it would have done it more justice. It would have been uh, even more fun if it had a bigger crowd. Yeah, could have been in a building that had more people i think yeah, more people like would have made this even better people. yeah absolutely like, not a ton but just enough that you wouldn't have had those dead spots of the crowd where then you hear idiots yelling just you know things and it cuts through you know and you can hear it very clearly uh, but yeah if you, if you are in the mindset if you can get yourself in the mindset of watching sort of modern indie style and if that doesn't bother you uh, this is a a really fun way to pass a couple hours and you get to see some guys who you know went on to do some some pretty pretty big things in the wrestling world. And like you said, for an indie show, uh, pretty top tier commentary compared to what you're going to get on most shows. We went through and also referenced a ton of stuff that's available in our bonus content. You can subscribe to that via Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random, or in your Apple podcast feed, click on that subscribe button. It unlocks all of the bonus content. We're, if you're listening in linear fashion, there's hours and hours and hours, 40 some additional episodes of this podcast. You will unlock for one monthly fee, just one one payment unlocks the whole thing. So go yeah. ahead and subscribe either way. Uh, if you're on the Patreon, you can also sign up for the tier to be the randomizer where you can choose what shows we review for the bonus content. So all of that information is available. Patreon.com slash wrestling at random. And just to overemphasize that point that you made right now, if you're listening to this, you can go into, uh, you know, subscribe, whether it be at patreon.com slash wrestling at random or through the Apple podcast bonus content option for one month. You just do that for one month. You could go in and download every single one of those shows, the 40 plus shows that Jeremy mentioned, Put them on your device and you've got them. You know, you, you've got access to the whole thing. You can binge the whole thing. You're not just getting, you know, that week or that month. You're getting the whole deal. No, but if you stay subscribed, you get new episodes every single week in the bonus content to complement the episodes that you already get here on the free feed. So make sure you support the show that way. If you can't support the show financially, we get it. We understand not a problem. You can, you can still support the show. By telling your wrestling fan friends about the show. Or you can support the show by throwing something across the room at the wall, which is what I think I just heard. <laughs> yeah, your... That, that was your reaction to, to hearing Blaine rage. You had to Blaine rage, and he just threw a water bottle against the wall. It's okay. It's understandable. Yeah, your word of mouth is how we get the word out about this show. So tell your wrestling fan friends about the show. Tell your friends that used to be wrestling fans about the show. They might want to take a trip down memory lane with us. Yeah, absolutely. And tell maybe a long lost family member that you didn't even know existed about the show. Maybe you could do a, uh, you know, a, a, a is it Jose and Will Maximo <laughs> deal. You could be the, you could be the next generation of whatever tag team you were in 10 years ago. It's all possible. 
And with that, we're going to wrap it up. We're calling it a podcast. Interact with the show. Make sure you send us your comments. We love to hear about the shows that you listen to, uh, what these shows meant to you, any memories you have. Always interact with the show via Twitter at Wrestle at Random. Facebook.com slash Wrestling at Random. Same for Instagram at Wrestle at Random or Wrestling at Random at gmail.com if you want to go through the email. All of those links and links to even the YouTube channel. Uh, <laughs> YouTube. YouTube.com slash Wrestling at Random as well. That is there. Uh, wrestling at Random podcast on, on YouTube. So you can uh, also listen to it there. Uh, no video yet, uh, no. but um, uh, Hundreds slowly. of subscribers to, it, to the YouTube channel. Uh, which we, we see you, <laughs> we see you out there. Yeah, we almost never talk about it here on the podcast. <laughs> yet uh, it is like, like I said, it is on fire, uh, growing by leaps and bounds. So yeah, thank you, uh, all you people who, for whatever reason, decide that YouTube is the best place to get your audio podcast. Well, they know, they know that one day we're going to show up in video form there, and they'll be early adopter subscribers to the, <laughs> the show. The longest they'll build. See in the history of pro wrestling podcast. <laughs> All right. With that, we're calling it a podcast. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. I will say, as I watched this show on the hard camera side, there was a guy who had Rico Constantino level mutton chops. And I was wondering if you were going to tell me when we started recording this show today, that you were in the crowd at Evolve 8, sadly, as this episode is revealed, you were not. It was a doppelganger. I was not. No, just another doppelganger out there. <laughs> and uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll talk to you again next time.